Good afternoon and welcome to the Blue Platform. My name is Dion Kitching and I want to remind you that you can find us on the internet at www.blueplatform.podbean.com Today we're going to speak to Igor Boenzeyer. Igor is involved with the whole debate and the whole issue of land reform. For the past 24 years, Igor has been working in either the private sector or the public sector, facilitating processes of understanding each other and or seeking for solutions for this whole uh, land reform issue. Since the COVID pandemic started in South Africa, we have stopped talking about this whole issue of land reform. But we believe it's still a very important discussion, and that's why we have invited Igor. So Igor, thank you very much for joining us, and welcome to the Blue Platform. Yes, hi Dion, thanks. Um, it's nice to talk to you about, about a very important topic this afternoon. What do I say about myself? Um, I started my working career in 1994 as a teacher in the Northern Cape, um, and from there I moved to the Department of Land Affairs, uh, where I worked as a restitution researcher. And for the next nine years, I did various different jobs within the department, getting to learn, learning more about land reform in all its facets. But by 2005, the bureaucracy was a bit stifling and I decided to leave. Hmm. I wanted to become a tourist guide. And um, pretty soon after I left the department, I was roped back in by a friend who wanted me to help him facilitate a land reform project. And then I was back again in land reform. So in 2008, APL Cartons employed me as their land transformation manager. Now, APL Cartons is a company that uh, produces corrugated cartons, but it has five shareholders, all fruit packhouses. And the fruit packhouses in turn have shareholders who are farmers. And my role within all of this is to facilitate land reform projects within the group, to stimulate discussion around land reform, to find funding for land reform projects, and generally to improve people's um, thinking around land reform, trying to get more favorable um, perceptions of land reform. So you have been a long time busy with this whole issue of land reform. Yeah, pretty much 24 years. 24, that's, that's a long time. So, Igor, that is, that's the main topic of our discussion this afternoon, and I choose the topic for a specific reason. You know, the first part of 2020, basically, we uh, are so focused on the coronavirus, keeping everybody safe, and all government initiatives and uh, talks are around the virus. So a lot of other issues in the country uh, has been put on the back burner. But I think still we should, you know, think about land reform and think how the process will proceed when we come out of this lockdown. We have now today, on the 1st of June, moved from lockdown level 4 to lockdown level 3. I think you must help us 
with different voices and different conversations where the process stopped at the end of 2019. Okay, I, th I think what, what we must do first is to say that the past 10 weeks of, of lockdown has sort of made, made us forget of land reform. And if you look at what, what people were talking just before lockdown and before corona became an issue, um, we were very fixated on expropriation and specifically expropriation without compensation. Yeah. And there was a lot of negativity around land reform in general. And I think what, what one needs to say before we talk about where we were just before lockdown is to say that Many people have, ide have, have ideas and have feelings of, around land reform, definite likes or dislikes, but not many people really know what land reform is about. Sure. When, we, when we talk land reform, the first thing that someone talks about is expropriation and expropriation without compensation because that is what the conversation was about just before lockdown. Mm. I, th I think what we, need to, what we need to say is that land reform is not just about expropriation. Land reform is about three things. It is about giving people access to land so that they can farm. Secondly, it is about restoring land that was lost under apartheid. Mm. And thirdly, it is to ensure that people's tenure security rights are properly entrenched in the constitution and that um, we have mechanisms to deal with people who live in unsecured tenure. And by, the, by these people, I mean farm workers, people who live in informal settlements, uh, labor tenants, mm. et cetera, et cetera. So with that as background, just before we got to lockdown, there was a, there was a process underway whereby government had, had uh, instituted a process to say, let us look, let us find ways to amend the constitution to make expropriation without compensation possible. Now, the only reason we are talking about expropriation without compensation is because this was one of the flashpoints that came out of the ANC's elect, uh, conference in 2017. Yeah. So there was an instruction to investigate expropriation without compensation, and. Parliament then formed a, an ad hoc committee, a joint ad hoc committee, to investigate. This committee launched uh, a great many uh, meetings, public meetings, where people could come and say what they felt about the, about the issue of expropriation, especially then without compensation. And a decision was then taken finally that government or parliament would proceed to see how this could be uh, how, how, the, how the constitution could be amended to, to make this possible. That commission has not concluded its work. In fact, it, its terms of reference ended yesterday, and it hasn't moved any further be, other than to decide that, yes, we must look at ways in which expropriation without compensation can be, can be done. But its terms of reference has, has, was terminated yesterday, so a new, com a new committee would have to be established to take this thing forward. Now, before all of this happened, the Department of Public Works put out a draft expropriation bill. Now, the, the importance of this expropriation bill is briefly the following. Our constitution says that government may expropriate land for 
a public purpose or in the public interest. Mm. But the Expropriation Act that we are using at the moment still dates from 1975, yeah. some apartheid legislation. And this legislation only provides for expropriation for a public purpose, like b- building a road, a clinic, a dam, etc. The Constitution, our Constitution says we can also expropriate in the public interest. And it says that land reform is in the public to make it possible for government to expropriate land for land reform purposes as well. So people get fixated on on expropriation without compensation as the thing that is going to that is going to guide our way forward. There are five categories of land identified in the draft expropriation bill that would qualify for expropriation without compensation. And I'll mention them quickly. Firstly, it is land occupied or used by labor tenants. Now, let me explain what a labor tenant is. A labor tenant is someone who provides labor to a landowner, a farmer, and in return received a wage, but also part of this remuneration is the is the use of a portion of agricultural land for his or her own purposes. Yes. Secondly, abandoned land. Thirdly, uh, land owned by the state or state-owned corpor- or state-owned corporation. Fourthly, land held for speculate- speculative purposes. And fifthly, land which value is equal or less than the government subsidies already spent on it. So, if you look at those categories, it's quite clear that none of those categories refer to white-owned commercial farmland, as was everyone's fear yeah. um, in the in the run-up to to the promulgation of this bill. So, where we are at the moment is that none of none of this has been finalised. But I think that I think one of the things that that government has come to realise just prior to the to the pandemic is that there needs to be a greater focus on the provision of housing yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. and especially within a land reform context because essentially that is also part of the land reform program and that is what i'm sure we will be focusing on post covid 19 um, and i think one of the things that COVID, that that the covid pandemic has shown us is that uh, shown us the level of inequality that that we live with in our country because where where I live in the suburbs it's quite easily it's quite easy to maintain social distancing it's easy to isolate and insulate yourself and lead, lead a life in a bubble for 10 weeks yeah, but yeah. people who live in informal housing they are very they, they're not able to to social distance um they're not able to adhere to the kind of restrictions that government promulgated. And um, I think we need to, we need to seriously look at, at ways in which, in which we address our, our housing problem. The, the government has, has decided to release um, a few million hectares of land that it has available for, for housing purposes. And, I'm hoping that that we will be able to make inroads in in the huge need that there is among our people for for proper housing that would that would alleviate the 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 terrible housing shortage that we have at the moment. I would like to come back to that issue of housing, but let me just ask you while we're busy with that and uh, referring to last year 
there was a lot of emotions running high about this land reform issue. And if I listen correctly to you, it seems like unnecessary. It seems like people are, um, yeah, I wouldn't say spreading fake news, but it's close to it. Why do you think people uh, do these things? Well, look, I, I, I think the, the firstly, one, one would have to look at what people's political motives are. Yeah. And I think also that you could make a case out for people who are pro-expropriation as well as people who are anti-expropriation, because you can argue this thing in very, in, in, in very different ways. But I think people have, people have political motives. Mm. It, it suits some people to say that government is going to steal your land because you could score political points, you could get more votes, you could get more representatives. I'm not saying that it's impossible, but as it stands at the moment, it's not possible for government to enact a law that would enable it to, to take white people's land indiscriminately. Let me mm. explain. In, in order for the constitution to be amended, we need a two-thirds majority. Now, the constitution has, has been amended 17 times already with, without anyone batting an eyelid. But this is a really important, a very important proposed amendment, so people are taking notice. But in order for, to, for us to change the constitution, there needs to be a two-thirds majority in, in parliament, or it needs to be adopted with a two-thirds majority. Now, in order for, for government to adopt le legislation, for, okay, let me retrace my steps. Expropriation can only take place can only can only take place through a law of general application, which means that this law must apply to all of us, mm. black and white. So government cannot write a law that says we want to expropriate land belonging to white people or purple people or yellow people, because then it is not, not a law of general application. Yeah. The only way in which something like this is going to be possible is for a, two th for a 75% majority in parliament to, uh, to accede or to agree to such, such, a, such a, 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 a law which in our, in our political context, given the makeup of parliament, given the power balance within, within, within par parliament with the different political parties, it is virtually impossible for our parliament to ever agree to a law that would enable government to target white commercial farmers, to target white people for... Uh, to expropriate their, their holiday homes, to target white people to expropriate their primary residences. Um, I don't see that happening. Mm. So to, uh, to get back to your original question, I think there is, there, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of politics and there's a lot of, there, there are a lot of people who have particular interests that they need to maintain and they use these arguments to forward, and to, and to be, to forward those interests. Yeah. I know that you have been working with a lot of farmers, white farmers, in consultation, and people um, try to come to the party, come to the table, and see how they can work together to redistribute land in South Africa because it's a given fact that we have to do something about the redistribution of land. Mm. 
what is your take on it? Do you think that you're making some inroads, you're making some progress? Uh, what are the white farmers' attitude when you work with them and you suggest some some way of of moving forward? Look, I I work very I work very closely with organised agriculture, and I must tell you that there is a positive sentiment around land reform yeah. among among white farmers. Uh, I think farmers realise that that there needs to be a change, that we need to introduce black farmers, uh, we need to encourage black farmers, we need to ensure that the racial profile changes, that black farmers gain their rightful place, regain their yeah. rightful place in the agricultural sector. Because remember, we tend to think that, that black people can't farm and that they've got no history of agriculture. But it's not true. Yeah, yeah. Black people have been farming for centuries. That's true. And they were deprived of of agricultural land. So it's not it's not that black people don't have a history of agriculture. They need to be uh, they need to be able to reclaim their their rightful place in the agricultural sector. So there's a lot of goodwill, and there are a lot of uh, there are a great many farmers who who are trying actively to put land reform projects together. Again, you need the right farmer with the right beneficiary. But then you also need funding for the project. You need land for the project. And most importantly, you need access to markets. Yeah. The, the, the model that we use within the APL group is to say that we, need to, we want to, when we settle a new farmer, we want to give this person access to the entire fruit value chain. Yeah, Because yeah. It, it's, it's not good enough giving someone access to land but he's got nowhere but he's got no funding for inputs for input capital he's got nowhere to sell the product at the end of the day and he has to and he has to flog it on the on this on the side of the road because that is not how we how we generate wealth and not generate long term wealth yeah so our model is one where we try and give someone access to the entire food value chain let me give you an example if we settle a farmer in grabo and the, the farmer then delivers his uh, fruit to one of our pack houses in Grabo, let's say to, to Kromko. He immediately becomes a member of Kromko. Now, Kromko is a shareholder in APL cartons, which means that Kromko's farmers get their packing material cheaper from APL cartons than they would if they were to go to any other supplier. Mm. But also, Kromko markets the fruit internationally That's it's got right. its own yeah. it's got its it's got its own in, its own um, marketing arm it's got its own logistics in entity so the moment a farmer is settled in, in uh, by the APL group he or she gains access to the entire fruit value chain he's no longer just a landowner but the fruit that is that is packed at Cromco can be sold internationally and what what fruit if there if 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 there is fruit that is of an inferior quality it goes to the directly to the juicing facility mm-hmm. where where we are also where, where he would also become a shareholder so the picture is just so much bigger than government's efforts in of the past of trying to put someone on land and saying there's your piece of land we've now done our job okay you can now farm Farming hasn't been like that for 80 years. 
So it seems like um, the farmers and uh, other people in the business have taken seriously this whole issue of how can we integrate new farmers in the system and make this whole land redistribution work. Yes, I think the I think mo- more often than not the bigger pro- the biggest problem in this whole mix is a government by yeah. who put, that puts out negative and 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 very conflicting messages by talking about expropriation without compensation by saying that we want la- to impose land ceilings i.e. how much how much land a person can own those are all negative factors that 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 don't contribute to that don't contribute to, to land reform in, in any positive way but the farmers those those who are able to read between the lines and see what is really happening they they are pushing forward with with land reform projects and there are a few success stories in the western cape where we have individual farmers who who black farmers who are no longer emerging farmers but who are proper commercial farmers who do the who do the job who are proper commercial farmers and who don't have to wear the label of emerging farmers any longer we have a few successes in the western cape but not nearly as many as we should Igor, I wanted to ask you about the large pieces of land that that's owned by the traditional leaders. How does that tie into this whole discussion about land reform? That's a very interesting question. It's a very contentious one also. Let's talk about the, the, the more popular one, the, the Ingonyama Trust. The Ingonyama Trust um, basically owns land in the in the greater KwaZulu Natal that land is administered by the by the by the Inkonyama Trust and and it is supposed to be used for the benefit of the black people the the black people who who live on the land mm. but what you find in practice is that the king acts as if it is his land and he gets to decide who who gains who gains access to land and who does not and also in the tribal areas, it is also very much a case still that women don't have equal rights to men. Yeah. A woman's access is limited, is, is linked to either a husband or a father or some or other male individual. And that is that is something that government needs to needs to address very urgently. It tried to address this this um, issue of tribal land if, a few years ago, actually put out a bill but uh, to address it, but this was then struck down by the Constitutional Court as being, there were, there were a few um, of its clauses that were deemed unconstitutional. For some other reason, the department has just never managed to put anything to paper again to address the issue of of tribal land and of women's rights in land. You, you probably remember in the newspapers two or three years ago, um, the, com- the commission or the panel that was the high-level panel that was uh, chaired by Khalima Motlante. Yeah. One of the things that came out of, of, of that report was a recommendation that, that the Ingonyama Trust be, be abolished because it was no longer serving any purpose. It was not constructive. It was not the land was not being used for the for the to the for the benefit of of the people of of 
who were living there and who were the subjects of the Zulu king. And that is a, a, a topic of, of, of huge concern and contention. And it's something that we will probably still be talking about for the next couple of years, because frankly, the government doesn't really know how to address the issue. Yeah, it because seems very sensitive. Yeah. It's very sensitive because it's, it, it also represents a very large portion of potential voters. Yeah. So government wouldn't want to, want to rock the boat unnecessarily. Igor, what do you think? How will the government and uh, uh, civil society... Uh, react now when they start thinking about land reform again after this um, coronavirus has toned down. And I think what I mean is how and where will we get the money to make this work? Because, uh, you know, we are in a very difficult situation now in South Africa financially and with the coronavirus. Um, I think I think the key to all of this is going to be that we need to get our priorities straight. Mm. It, it is so that there are people who want to farm, black people who want to farm and who need to gain access to agricultural land. It is so that there are people who lost land due to the apartheid policies and they must get, they must regain access to the land or alternative land or financial compensation. But the reality is that those people are in, in the minority. Mm. Our biggest need is for our people to live in houses, to gain access to proper housing. Yeah. So if government, if government prioritizes properly and leaves all the other vanity projects, then we would be able to, to find ways and means of addressing people's insecure tenure um, as it stands. Yeah. And I'm hoping that, that there is that realization in government that we need to reprioritize. Yes, we, we will, there is, it is possible for, for government to, to enter into partnerships with white commercial farmers so that they can assist with the redistribution of land and the mentoring of new black farmers. But government needs to take the bull, pack, to take the bull by the horns and make enough money available so that we can build houses for the many people who, who live in informal housing. Because that is, that is our most pressing need. The coronavirus is showing us that that is one of our most pressing needs where we, that we need to address sooner rather than later. Well, on this note, Igor, thank you very much for your insights and for your time that you spent with us this afternoon. Hopefully we can talk about this uh, in the near future and then have some more perspectives. Thank you very much for, for your talk this afternoon. No, it was, it, was, it was nice chatting to you and thanks for having me.